Welcome to Walking with Freya, a journey through special needs parenting. This podcast is a place for parents and caregivers of children with special needs to share stories, the very real struggles and challenges we face, along with the inevitable love and joy these children have brought into our lives. This is a place for unapologetic honesty, well-intentioned laughter, and endless support. A safe place for us to learn, share, discuss, and help each other navigate this often unexpected journey. Be kind, be supportive, and when you can, keep the humor. My name is Annie, and welcome to Walking with Freya. Hey everyone, welcome back to Walking with Freya. I am really looking forward to sharing this interview with all of you. It's with a very insightful and inspiring mother that I recently met. Uh, she has a seven-year-old boy on the autism spectrum, so it's going to be, it's a great interview or talk actually. Um, but before I get into this, I have some business to address. First off, I published my novel. Yay! I published a novel. For those of you who did not know that I was writing one, well, first off, I wrote a novel off and on over the last, I think, four years. And just last week, I published it. And I I hit publish, and I was waiting for the parade and the fanfare and the trumpets and the celebration, and it doesn't work that way. (laughs) It was, I hit publish... My husband and I had a nice breakfast together together at our kitchen table, and then he went off to go work on the boat, and I paced around, wondering, what now? <laughs> I am self-publishing because I really want that control. It's called The Orchard's Descendant, and for now, just for the next day or two, it's going to be on Kindle for a launch price of 99 cents. I am now working on the back cover, so I will be ordering some print copies, and I hope to do like a little mini book tour in Northern California and Southern Oregon. So uh, if any of you all have an in with your local bookstore, definitely feel free to get in touch with me. Um, (laughs) I can send a, a free coffee, I think, once I have the, I mean, yes, I can, once I have the, the printed copies up. Um, but for now it's on Kindle. I'm also going to start recording an audio version, which I know many people are excited about. You know, these days we're all so busy running from one place to the next that we barely slow down to read. So audiobooks are great, and I will definitely let you all know when that comes out. And yes, it will be read by me, the author, in my closet, which I have to clarify is not a tiny closet. It's, I mean, it is a, it's not a huge, gigantic closet, but it is a walk-in closet, so I'm not, like, crouched in the corner. I should clarify that. I don't want to give any false impressions. So what is The Orchard's Descendant about? Well, let me give you the working blurb and go from there. Feeling she has little choice but to leave her beloved community Maggie takes a teaching job and buys a century-old farmhouse in the hills of Northern California. She is looking for a fresh start and land to grow some roots. What she finds is a dilapidated house, a barn she can't bring herself to go into, and a mystery involving the former occupants. 
a daughter sent away never to be heard from again, a father's lifeless body found in a snowstorm, and the angry brother Daniel, who has lived with the pain of it all for more than 70 years. As Maggie begins to build her life in the community, she slowly unravels a story of love and deceit. Will she be able to find the home she has been longing for in the house above the orchard? And will she be the key to a brother's redemption? All right, so that's the working blurb that I have to shorten. But um, so there you go. That's what it's about. It's a mystery. It's romance. It has some paranormal, which I love. And ultimately, uh, the theme is what does it mean to create home? So The Orchard's Ascendant on Kindle for 99 cents. And then the price is going up. Not by much. And uh, and then the print copies and the audiobook will be coming out. Here's the important part. If you do read it, even if you wait and get a print copy or the audio, and I can't stress this enough, please rate and review the book on Amazon because that is that is how these books get seen. And the same for the podcast. And I know I sound like a broken record, but it really is crucial for small timers like me to be seen and to get out there is to get you to subscribe to whatever podcast app you're using. Subscribe to the podcast. And if you read the book and if you listen to the podcast, rate it, review it. I need people like you to go on to whatever device to rate it and review it. I am, I'm not competing against anybody for the podcast. Like this is a love project, but in order for other people to to see it, people that maybe don't have a, a good community or a big community of in the special needs world, maybe really need this podcast. One of the ways to really get them to be seen is to get them up and on whatever list. So rating, reviewing, and you know, on Amazon, Definitely, please, if you read the novel and you like it, uh, rate it and review it. If you don't like it, that's okay. Maybe you don't have to review it. (laughs) But, um, you know, they have, and they have algorithms in place. Like, it's just, I, I'm, yeah, I'm small time, so I need your help. My children are all in school now for the first time in 14 years. I'm in, like, semi-retirement, and I love putting out this podcast to the, our community. I really do. And... I'm really excited about creating this writing journal for anyone that's interested. And I really love writing. It is my passion. It is my talent. And it has always been my dream career. The other side of that, unfortunately, is the hustle, which I'm trying to learn. And so I apologize for having to put this out there. But hopefully you guys can understand. So yeah, check out The Orchard's Descendant by me. And Fricky, that's F-R-I-C-K-E. And it's it's in mystery romance, but it's so much more than that. It's got a good love story in it, for sure. But it's not like a bodice ripper, cheesy. It's not cheesy. Anyway, so let's uh, get past this messy part and get on to the interview. Thank you all for, for going through that with me. I had such a wonderful time speaking with Amanda. She is a woman whose words and perspective are so inspirational. They are so full of grace and love, and I'm really excited to 
to share this interview with you. She brought me to tears a number of times during this conversation, speaking on her heartache, but also on her path to acceptance. So maybe get some tissues. Amanda has been in the Facebook group for a while, but at one point I had put uh, a call out to anyone willing to talk about their journey with autism. And it's a journey I'm not really that familiar with. So she stepped up and was agreed to come on the podcast. She's raising a son with autism, but she's also spent many years in the world of special needs through her studies and her trainings and jobs that she has had in the past. So she came with not only a deep understanding of the experience and the journey, but also with such a beautiful perspective on her son and the journey that they're on. I could say so much more, but I believe that Amanda speaks far more eloquently on all of this. So let's just get into the interview. And remember, if you want to share your story, you can check out my website at annfricky.com. To f- I have now, I've made it easier. There's a form up that you can just fill out, get in touch with me uh, to be a guest or even offer suggestions. I've had some suggestions offered recently on topics, which are, are exciting. It's good to, it's really good to get that feedback. Or you can also just email walkingwithfreya at gmail.com. And yes, please share this podcast with anyone you think may need it or will find this helpful. This community is growing and it is a beautiful thing. So as always, I want to thank you all for being here. So I am sitting here with Amanda who has graciously agreed to come and and talk about her son and talk about autism. And uh, she's come very well prepared. So Amanda, would you like to start and just kind of um, place yourself in the special needs community? Tell us a bit about who you are and your son. Uh, who I am and my son. Should I start with a definition of autism? My son has autism. Or should I start with who I am? You can start with who you are and then we can get or whatever feels most comfortable. I'm, I'm almost 49. I'm a solo parent of three kids. I uh, have a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, a 7-year-old with autism, and a 4-year-old. It's interesting. I was sort of born to be my son's mom. Mm-hmm. My life, everything makes sense now that didn't make sense before. Uh, my master's is in clinical mental health. My BA's early childhood studies, I was everybody's favorite babysitter. <laughs> I worked my way through college by being a nanny and a preschool teacher. My first job after getting my master's was at a school for children with autism. I was trained in ABA in 1997. Uh, I learned about CARD the next year. All of these things were a big part of my life. There was a job opportunity for me in 1999 that brought me to Los Angeles from New York. And it was there that I got uh, a lot of amazing training in the world of autism. I became a floor time therapy specialist, which is play therapy. Mm -hmm. I sat on the floor with kids for 40 to 60 hours a week for four years. I worked with families. I was a behavioral interventionist for a foster family agency, and I represented them in the courts. I wrote reports within 20 minutes that could change a child's life. Um, I trained foster parents. I trained preschool teachers. 
I taught at Los Angeles City College Southwest. I was a terrible adjunct professor. I tried to rewrite all their curriculum. I taught a class called Leadership and Supervision, and the book I used was The Tao of Leadership. Mm -hmm. It was an inkling into who I would later become. Mm -hmm. Working 70 to 90 hours a week destroyed me. I had no, I had Friday nights was when I did my drawings. Um, you know, I had been an artist and um, I sort of had a lot of different things that I was good at and loved doing. I was a highly energetic human. And at some point around 2003, uh, I stopped functioning. And it, doctors, rheumatologists, it was fibromyalgia. And it felt like uh, all my joints had the flu. There was like lead in my blood. I became unable to think clearly. And within a year and a half, I wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And um, I had to really stop everything and regroup myself. And the way I regrouped myself was I went camping for four months. And I went to a rainbow gathering. And I had gone to a few rainbow gatherings before. And that's where I met um, the men that would later be the partners that I created love children with. And my 13-year-old is a true love child. And my seven and four-year-old are the children of a behemoth, miraculous guy who ran a free food or was participating in a free food school bus. So I learned what energy exchange meant outside of the Babylon money system. I learned what true value of, you know, your human uh, capacity was through participating in rainbow gatherings, you know, um, my nickname is Shirley, you do dishes. I went and cleaned everybody's dishes and, and really plugged in in that way. And there was incredible freedom and healing for me. I, the medicine that I had been using to try and help with the fibromyalgia really didn't work well for me and had lots of side effects that were problematic. So when I cut to, um, had children, um, with this guy that just di really didn't operate in the, now I recognize it was that he didn't operate in the neurotypical sphere. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until cut to my son being diagnosed, uh, he was born 7-11-11, frail, not at all the same birthing experience as my 13-year-old. Um, but it was one day looking at the two of them on the bed, sleeping in the exact same position, that I realized that they were sort of as close to a genetic copy, if it were, mm -hmm. as of each other, and that that meant that there was a lot of stuff to my son that, oh, I don't know how to explain it. Um, so you saw your son and his dad sleeping next. Is that who you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, they had their arms over mm -hmm. each other. And I recognized that there was something about the two of them that was very similar. And um, that I, I really am grateful that I saw that mm -hmm. because years later when I would become so upset and frustrated that Obi's dad couldn't function in this world, you know, 
the energy exchange to get a house or or an apartment and the, the things that people do to operate a motor vehicle or be on time somewhere, those mm-hmm. were not things that he understood how to do. Mm-hmm. And I did have to steward and train him in the same way that I have learned to do for my son. And in fact, I had to learn them simultaneously. Hmm. Um, wow, sounds like quite a challenge. So for the sake of uh, people like me and many other people who um, don't totally understand <clears throat> what autism is, is is there a clinical diagnosis or like a definition you were saying? Every definition is a little bit different, but most of the best learning that I can do for myself on a topic will be from the people that are in the trenches with it. Mm-hmm. They, um, for me, a good counselor has to have at least seven years under their belt, a good clinician, a good 12. And Temple Grandin is a human on the autism spectrum that is capable of translating to us out mm-hmm. here what's up. And her definition nice. is... Autism is a developmental disorder typically diagnosed during the first three years of life. It is, an, it is neurological in nature, affecting the brain in four major areas of functioning, language, communication, social skills, sensory systems, and behavior. Every person with autism is unique with a different profile of strengths and challenges. A lot of people know about autism now. Apparently, there are shows on the internet or TV. I haven't had a TV with channels since <laughs> two thousand one, um, but I have the internet and I and I I see things and um, there are autism characters and things. I have mm-hmm. a feeling that the spectrum is possibly uh, genetic. Well, it's it's a pie chart, right? It's genetics, one-third, environmental, one-third, and one-third. Who knows? Mm-hmm. For, in my imagination. Um, but, you know, when, when people don't understand autism, I ask them if they've taken mushrooms before. I don't know whether or not that's okay to, to say, but certainly um, the colors become more vibrant. Mm-hmm. And they also become into a different dimension. Mm-hmm. When I talk to my son, there's a delay of absorption and there's a skew of absorption. Mm-hmm. He's come a long way in seven years. It's a, been a tremendous amount of work. And just because I was trained and prepared, that doesn't mean really anything because mm-hmm. it's your kid. Mm-hmm. And his birth was nothing like my eldest's birth. My eldest's birth was 30 hours long. I was pushing for four hours. I had two midwives and two doulas and two leg holders and she was face up coming in like an owl and she finally came out. God bless her. And it took a while to recover from that, but she came out just right. It was beautiful. And a C-section is not the same experience. There's a lot of studies out, and if you are good at searching the internet, you will discover that there are many factors um, in who has autism. People like to 
speculate, but the truth is that because there is a mystery to who we all are as humans, there will never be a definitive understanding. But there's a lot of science out there, and there's a lot of understanding. Right, because I have my... Um, someone in my family has ITIC-15, which is a severe form of autism, mm. the way I understand it. But So that's a genetic form mm. of autism, but then... I mean, don't people get diagnosed without genetic, mm. do, right? I mean, I've never like... allowed my son to have his blood drawn. He's never felt the okay. a needle in his skin. That would be too difficult for him. Right. He had a finger prick at the WIC office that he had trauma for six mm. months about. No. So um, that's a violation of who his body is. He's only just coming into his body. He was about five and a half when he started being able to feel when he needed to pee and poop, really. Mm -hmm. um, coming into his body took a lot of work on my part. There was a lot of squeezing, Dad and I, lots of massaging and squeezing and um, learning what would work for him. Um, he needs to move. He needs to swim a lot. Um, his bliss is the beach. Thank goodness we live where yeah. we live. I mean, this is really the perfect town for um, raising a child on the spectrum because I have absolutely no shoulds in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, operating from the four agreements like I do, um, be impeccable with your word, don't take things personally, um, don't make assumptions, always do your best. I have to operate from the four agreements. They're written in every room in my house. It's the only mm -hmm. way that I've gotten through the past couple of years. Um, and for those people who don't know the four agreements, it's a book. Don uh, Miguel Ruiz. It's right. Toltec Wisdom. His son has come out with a fifth agreement. God bless that family for interpreting something that's universally helpful. Yes, please look into the four agreements. It's, you know, certainly when you have a teenager, it's a great thing to <laughs> utilize. But we do know that children uh, born via C-section have a much higher incident rate of special needs and we do know that when that child comes from a mom who had a high sugar or inflammation count whether or not they have obesity or diabetes there's a higher incident rate and we know that if you throw on top of that a lack of breast milk I had a lack of breast milk for sure um, mm -hmm. I um, see a higher 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 rate when kids are using formula and not breast milk specifically with autism. So we have all kinds of interesting. Now that's from the Journal of Epidemiology, Volume 46, April 2017, Department of Economics and Business. So when you look on the Internet, be careful that you're looking at, you know, universities or journals that are professional because oh, there's just so much out there that isn't really mm -hmm. represented by science. And, and that's, you can do yourself a great disservice the day you get your diagnosis by going on the internet. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the fact that the, I, I don't know where I got this book, but it clearly didn't come from the internet. I mean, I must have walked into a store, Humboldt County Library. I must have bought this. Right, like tin can or something. Um, yeah, exactly. Like I probably, you know, I, I, I didn't know that it was me and the way I carried a pregnancy that was the reason for the autism. N nor do I. I think that that's a helpful thing. Like, um, I don't know that. Um, 
We know that the gut is a huge issue. We know mm-hmm. that there's like seven major studies that are talking about gut health in correlation with autism as well as mm-hmm. um, other disorders and, and delays. Our medical system is completely broken. Uh-huh. I've been larger than my body frame needs to be ever since I tore my knee. I was a hiker. I've always been a little bit bigger. You know, I played mm-hmm. field hockey. I was the goalie. And um, when I went to college, I gave up all physical movement for the incredible experience of learning. I never had a doctor suggest that weight is an issue for me. Mm-hmm. Nobody in the Western medicine wants to deal with the practical, the what's real, what's real about healing or, or the body. So... You know, I tore this knee. I have, you know, we're talking about the economics of um, whether or not you get to have the services and the healing and the support that mm-hmm. you need. So I have a tear in my knee that if I had good health insurance or money would have been solved. It's been eight years now I've had a torn acrucial. And then mm-hmm. when I torn the meniscus and now I have a torn Achilles, that's almost, that happened on Halloween. I still haven't had an MRI. So the, the broken medical system led me to know that it's, it's, it's on me to be my own healer. It's mm-hmm. on me to recognize that my body is a temple. What I put into it will affect me. So, of course, all of the things that are recommended were, were already going on for me. I didn't have any food dye or food additives or processed food. I haven't eaten at a fast food restaurant in more than a decade. I would never put poison in my body intentionally. Mm -hmm. My children don't drink soda. I don't drink soda. I don't do any of those things. I mean, occasionally here or there, you know, we have what we need. Uh, Alcohol is, is not medicine for me. I, when did I, when did I discover Louise Hay? You can read, you can heal your life. Louise Hay. It's, it's like middle school. I discovered that book. Mm -hmm. So that was when I started understanding you know, being in charge of your own wellness. Mm-hmm. And that really helps me as a parent. Right. So how does one get diagnosed with autism? Is it, I mean, I guess, well, like I said, I brought my family member who has like a genetic component to right. it. But, but most people typically don't get, a, it's not a genetic thing. It is something that right. is diagnosed in a clinical set or like a... right. Quick, quick intro to that. So I had quite a lot of transitioning going on in my life after I gave birth to Obadiah. Now, looking back, I realize I was preparing myself and my family for what we were going to need. But I was living in the mountains. I didn't have electricity. I didn't have hot running water. I didn't have the internet uh, regularly or my a telephone or or any real Babylon services unless I wanted them. Mm-hmm. It was an hour and 45 minutes to take my daughter to gymnastics class. <laughs> <laughs> and I did it. She was a kindergartner. She'd been running free uh, for years. It was a beautiful life. It was a difficult life. I do not recommend trying to start an intentional community with a bunch of 24-year-old guys in the middle of nowhere on a rock pile covered in poison oak. It's not a great plan. Um, But I was interested in communal living. I still am. I try to live every day as if I'm in 
because mm-hmm. I am in a communal life. We, mm-hmm. we can choose to live with intention no matter where we are. Um, examining my carbon footprint and ex- examining who I am as a person, examining what I was capable of, I had to be extremely honest with myself. I wasn't doing well and I needed town. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that I was going to need town because my son had special needs. I should, I should say that I guess I didn't really notice that anything was odd or off about Obi because mm-hmm. I'd never been a parent to a boy before. And I didn't have a lot of boys in my life. Um, and male energy is its own thing. You know, each human being comes with, I, I think of sexuality as like a circle. It's like male, 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 female, 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 male. Who knows? It's, mm-hmm. It doesn't, it's never made any sense to me that people would have such clear understanding before they've even connected with another human, like chemically and, and just the vibe of all of that. So looking at Obi, I didn't see a difference until I started putting the pieces together that literally every thing was not what it it didn't at all feel familiar his babyhood was not at all familiar mm-hmm. um from all those years of nannying and from my own daughter um and because i was in transition i think it it didn't it didn't affect me in a negative way so i didn't see it as an issue but when i had to go to the hospital to give birth to my third child I had a big problem, and my gallbladder started to fail. I had a C-section, and I was in the hospital while we were deciding what to do, and I really needed to try and go home with my baby and breastfeed, even though they were saying I needed a gallbladder surgery. And it was a pretty precarious five weeks. Mm -hmm. And my mother was in town And she figured out how to play a DVD on a computer. We didn't have any screens in our house yet. We had a computer that could play movies. Mm -hmm. And I must have told her, because my mom really holds on to information really tightly, um, that Carr's movie was a good way to relax Obi. Because he was a difficult two-year-old. I mean... He had stopped talking. He didn't understand things. It was dangerous to go anywhere with him. I mean... Because he um, would run off? Or... Oh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. everything affected him. Uh, the sound of the doors closing in a mm. grocery store was really intense for him. Um, getting a diagnosis involves going to your primary care physician and saying, what's going on with my kid? And the doctor having enough knowledge to say, let's do an evaluation and see what's going on with your kid. So there's kind of a miracle to it getting done early because the earlier you get diagnosed, the better your outcome. And the harder you work from when they're two to five, the better your outcome. It's the hardest work you'll ever do. And it's totally worth it. I didn't let go of anything except what wasn't working. I, I had to be, when I got the diagnosis, let's see, we, I was it your mom that, cause you were saying, okay, so she plays the cars video nonstop for five days. 
I mean, she didn't understand that what I was saying was, if you, if you need help, put this on. So my daughter, the first thing she says to me is, mom won't stop playing the Cars movie for Obi. No, I didn't, this is before I recognized that my mom's anxiety and depression, she also had an OCD element to it. Um, I came home with my four or five day old baby a mess and really unhealthy. And it was like I was meeting a different kid when I saw Obi. All of a sudden, I recognized that there was something going on for him that wasn't letting him connect with me. And I didn't realize that he needed a lot of help and a, a lot of understanding. And I didn't know what it was, honestly. I thought that he had had some kind of allergic reaction to something somebody gave him to eat mm. at first because he... It was like walking into a space with new eyes. I think I got him to the doctor the next day. We we have a really good pediatrician. He saw us the next day. And we got our evaluation. This was, let's see, my daughter was born in April. By May, I had had the first evaluation from the regional center. And by November, we had our testing and up here you know in a rural area you you really don't get a high caliber of um, trained experts but mm -hmm. luckily I got the very best um, one uh, that I could I think that she was fantastic she was extremely comprehensive we met with her for an hour and a half to three hours five times she got a great picture of who my son was. She didn't do some quick test and decide, oh, this is this. Mm -hmm. And her diagnosis, the details in it, really helped me create a great first intervention plan. So she didn't just leave me hanging with, this is what your kid is, and there you go. Mm -hmm. She left me hanging with, this is how your son probably sees the world. And this is how your son sort of functions. And this is what your son just really cannot do. Which I realize now, I'm such a naive parent. I was literally doing all this stuff for him. I was like doing play therapy for him when he was like a year. But I didn't even realize that I was doing it because it was so second nature to me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I was kind of born to be his mom because we really hit the ground running once I understood what what's what was really going on and I started using pictures so that he could tell me what he wanted and the frustration of not being able to get what he wanted because he couldn't talk that was huge you know it, imagine somebody has muffled your sound mm -hmm. so you're only hearing every third word but you don't quite know what that third word means mm -hmm. and imagine that you're you're stuck in a tunnel and no matter how you shout, there's no sound that comes out, you know. And imagine that your heart just wants to feel something like, but you don't know what it is because it's uncomfortable to touch something. Or maybe you want a really strong squeeze. 
but it hurts too. Getting in there to really get who Obadiah was took me letting go of any kind of should that I would ever have again. I should be partners with this man that I had children with because he's so similar to his son that they belong together, two peas in a pod. Probably one of the most important things that I've learned is that I'm going to be filling the tools of my tool belt and changing my apron so that it has more pockets that are deeper and bigger as a mom. I'm, I'm, it's not just that I want to learn nonviolent communication so that I do a better job at the IEP. You know, nonviolent communication is about observations, feelings, needs, and requests. This is learning to express yourself. Honesty within this realm is really going to help you out as a parent um, in terms of parenting a child with special needs. Uh, learning to uh, solve your root chakra deficits. This is a huge part of being a good parent for your kid, right? Um, feeling safe and secure at all times in your own body creates safety and security for them in their body. And with a kid with autism, those sensory issues like Obi had, I think... One of the reasons I didn't realize that he had autism for the first two years was because I was subconsciously creating all of that for him. I was creating that safety with the things that I was doing. I was naturally squeezing him. I, I didn't have a problem. You know, I did the family bed. Mm -hmm. I, a lot of the things yeah. I naturally did sort of worked for him. I didn't have a lot of the obstacles that people describe. I mean, communication book is key. Everywhere my child went, I needed to know what was happening while he was there. There, there wasn't going to be, oh, I had peanut butter and mm -hmm. I went on the playground. So I had to have a communication book. And it had to be written in his IEP that the communication book was written in and which things were described. It wasn't just I needed to know if he went to the bathroom. You know, Obadiah didn't go to the bathroom independently by himself until last week. Hmm. He's seven and a couple months. He didn't wipe himself fully and wash his hands and flush and pick up his own pants until last week. He got out of diapers around five and a half. So these huge, huge things to learn uh, I think if I had wanted him to be potty trained it would have been you know, of course you want your kid to be potty trained, yeah. but if I had taken it personally that he wasn't potty trained, mm -hmm. if I had been like, well, this isn't going to work when we're going on family vacation and we're trying to go to this restaurant. I mean, who goes to a restaurant that doesn't have toys or a play area or food that comes out within 17 minutes mm -hmm. with a child with autism? I mean, just <laughs> redoing your whole life and being willing to redo your whole life. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know what it's going to be like for me later on i i'm you know i have no idea what this is going to be like i mean i'm going to be 50 next year my son's eight he's going to require somebody to care for him for the rest of his life 
I don't know, maybe I'm halfway through my lifespan and, and I'll be able to steward him. You know, maybe he'll surprise me. And he's had so much growth these first seven years. It's, I have no idea who he'll become. In his diagnosis, he's also given a secondary diagnosis that is low intellectual functioning. I'm trying to look for the piece here. Mm -hmm. um, and this is important because a lot of parents, when they would be given this, would really freak out, perhaps mm -hmm. really be upset. It's the kind of thing that makes you angry you had a kid. You feel like you, you know, what are you doing? Having a child with this level of problem and how will you go on? You know, what will your lives be like? You know, I'm looking for it because it's important because it's not true at all. Mm -hmm. It was so not true then and it's incredibly not true now. And all his numbers show that he should be very low in his intellectual functioning. But my son at seven can tell me a story that he makes up in his head now. Mm -hmm. He's reading. He's doing subtraction. Anything that he wants to understand, he can. Mm -hmm. He can communicate his needs. He can tell me about stuff that happened earlier. That's brand new. Brand new. It's, it's really tough having a kid that can't tell you what they ate or where they went. The lack of accountability means that you're 100% on. Mm -hmm. Being a solo parent of a child with special needs is extremely hard work, and it's worth it. It's exhausting, and everything about myself and my life had to shift. If I'm awake past 9.41, I may not function. My son is going to wake me up at 6.40 no matter what time he went to bed. So I have to... I had to shift the way I lived. I mean, my daughter did not live this way. My 13-year-old, no, she did not live this way. But now, my kids go to bed at 8 o'clock, seven days a week for the whole year. The summer isn't different. Maybe an hour or two, depending on where we are. Um, the routine is key. And once you and your family fall into this wonderful routine, all kinds of amazing things happen. Suddenly, there's incredible freedom within the balance of the routine. And there's happiness in a way that you didn't know you could create. But being willing to have that routine really means that my adulting has to shift. My interaction with this world and who I am as a 49-year-old woman is truly shifted. I probably go out past 9 p.m. once every year and a half. I probably could go out four times this year, though, because now my son loves his routine so much that he doesn't need me to sing to him for 40 minutes anymore. Our routine went from an hour and 40 minutes to about 14 minutes. And that's because I've been doing it for five years, six years. I started 
recognizing that routines worked for him right about the time special services started. Mm -hmm. And I was really lucky to get a lot of good special services. And I supplemented them, not in the way somebody who would have better health insurance or more money, you know, economics plays a huge role in whether or not I can offer my son what he needs. Um, I had to become all of those things that most people can pay somebody to become. Mm -hmm. I had to learn uh, physical movement. We don't have PT up here. Mm -hmm. So I learned to help my son's body move in water and eventually on land. He's a dancer. He loves to move his body. Kirtan is his favorite music. He likes high vibes music. Taking him to small transformational music festivals was the key to -hmm. bridging the gap between how I would function and how he would live and thrive. And um, that's how I create any kind of a social situation for him. by having him enter into the dance. You know, we go to a static dance when we can. One of the first things that you implement when you get a diagnosis is services, behavioral interventionist services, or ABA. Um, What is ABA? Everybody should know a little bit about the basics of sort of the autism scaffolding. Um, of, you know, what are these basic things that we want in our lives? We want great teachers. So um, you're going to want to be in a situation with, like, special needs preschool. A lot mm-hmm. of um, parents have uh, some kind of nervousness about sending their two-and-a-half, three-year-old on a school bus to a place. I understand that. So, you know, try to get their yourself and see for yourself what's going on and and mm-hmm. and peek in the window in the middle of the day and do what's needed so that you can feel confident and comfortable to to let your child have that because then you'll have this golden opportunity because I'm going to give you an example. The, uh, this is one of Obi's teachers. The goal of education is to assist each individual in reaching his or her his or her full potential and move them towards independence. The focus of education should be on the individual child, valuing and appreciating him or her for who he is or she is, and striving to move them forward at a developmentally appropriate and individualized pace. Individualized instruction where goals and objectives are designed to meet the specific needs of each child is the best way to go. This is true for every human on this earth. But for some reason, we've only really allowed children in the special needs world to get this. Or if you're lucky enough to have a good charter school in your area, you may have a charter school that works in this way. Um, Obi had some amazing teachers. He did the special beginnings program. I supplemented that with a neurotypical preschool in the afternoon. We went to the lab school, which is where teachers learn to teach at our local university here. This was key to his social understanding. And 
The teacher, God bless her, she worked so incredibly hard, but it was too much work for her to have him in that room. So we had to get one of his um, behavioral intervention services people to help him get through that school day, um, just a couple of hours, two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. This is somebody who's specially trained in ABA, um, which is a process by which we... Let me, let me find the definition for you. Is that the... You sent me a little video of the... A not... The... Oh, a not... Is that Bani not... Al. Is that's that an not is, ABA? That's an Israeli woman that has figured okay. out that there is a connection between the movements of the body and a neurological connection. And ABA focuses on the principles that explain how learning takes place. Positive reinforcement is one... Um, behavior followed by reward. So that's likely to be repeated, right? If you give a reward for something, it's going to be repeated. Uh, rule number one, never offer a food as a reward. This is something that um, we do for animals that we don't want to do for humans. It really does everyone a disservice. You know, mm -hmm. food is fuel. It is nutrition. And it is not to be utilized, in my humble opinion, as a reward. I am a mm -hmm. Jewish daughter, a New Yorker. <laughs> the number one way you say you did a good job <laughs> is to too. go get a knish, go get a something. And um, it, it creates quite a... Mm -hmm. quite a Thing to get out of in your own head about 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 food mm -hmm. so when you have behavioral services uh, play-based worked best for us ABA can become very rigid you can sit at a table with a three-year-old with an ABA therapist and have them do a rigid program that works for some people that mm -hmm. works for children with autism that are hand biters that are ear rollers, that are so stressed out physically in their body, they need help in that moment, and ABA can work for them. But actually, physical um, work is actually going to work a lot better. Mm -hmm. um, there are all different levels of autism. You know, it's a spectrum. So that means that it manifests in each kid differently, depending on their environment that they're in. So even with one parent or another, it will come out in different ways. I've seen a kid with autism behave totally differently around the mom versus the dad. Mm. And therefore, when the mom reports, I get these behaviors, the dad doesn't understand that because he's getting all of these right. other behaviors. So one of the ways to get Obi to learn things is by these goals that we set up. So. Mm -hmm. His IEP meetings are really difficult for me because, you know, I've never been to one of those IEP training meetings, um, but what I understand and what I bring to the table is, you know, let's, let's make sure that he feels good about his life and feels mm. good about himself and feels good about achieving these goals. Let's come from a humanitarian point of view. Let, biggest issue for me in getting Obadiah services is the quality of those services. So, you know, his speech is now a 20-minute group speech lesson in his classroom. It is not an individualized, play-based experience as it was when he was younger. And he did get all his language back. He is very good at talking now. Um, that was amazing to witness the unfolding of. Hmm. In... 
I want to say every atmosphere of learning, he's given an opportunity to communicate the best he can. And I only had to use the PECS system, picture identification cues. This is a system that different people use. I imagine people use them on their phones or their iPads now. But back in the day, we used Velcro pieces and pictures, universal pictures. Uh, you know, this was how Obi said he needed a glass of water to drink. Mm -hmm. One of his very first um, communications to the outside world was that he needed water to drink. And this was huge for me because he's... He loves to drink water. He drinks a lot more water than I ever did. And I didn't know that that was one of his needs. So something as simple mm. as as that, it's really important to give him the opportunity to be able to communicate. And these goals sort of, well, they break things down into measurable pieces. Um, you know, there's several ways to learn one is the backwards chain. This is one of my favorite ways to teach how to do anything because mm -hmm. the backwards chain, it makes it so that you're always successful because you're doing the last step. Right. You were talking about your son lost his language. Yes. And then it came back. Yeah. And can, if you don't mind me bringing this up, you had said that he recently, because this was fascinating to me, and I wonder, and I'm... I haven't had this moment yet with Freya, um, but where he told you about his autism. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you mind if we talk He's about He's so that? proud of who he is because we don't live in a world of shoulds. I've never been on, I haven't been on an airplane in nine years. I don't put my son in environments where there's a possibility of intolerance. If I'm going to have a problem, I don't do it. It's as simple as that. He played with string, tied everything up into these knots, and I didn't care because I didn't know that it was a problem. He still uses a binky. It's not a big deal. The dentist says, eh. You know, I mean, I'd rather have him happy about who he is. So every single choice I make is so that he can feel good. I don't allow, we had this family rule when he was really little, no negative Nancys. If you are feeling negative or argumentative or angry, that's a beautiful thing that you're feeling and you need to exit that poison so that you can move on and that was a hard lesson for me when Obi said I don't even know what happened so it started with his sister at three who started introducing him as her brother Obi he has autism don't worry and it was beautiful because, you know, the only reason Obi has anybody to play with is because of his younger sister. The only reason he's ever been to a birthday party is because of his younger sister. And thank you to all the parents who want to have Zamira there enough to feel comfortable having Obi there because it wasn't always easy. We were at a birthday party last week. It was relatively easy. Um, but that wasn't always true. 
He knowing that he has autism just means that he knows that the way in which he presents himself in his life may or may not be what somebody else knows about. I have no idea what that word means to him or how he views it. I know that he has come into his body recently, that he's proud of who he is. He will say, I am Obi. I am seven years old and 10 units tall. I am me. This is my hair. He's, it's almost as if he's just now feeling himself in the world. So it's, it, it leads one to think that maybe he's been having an out-of-body experience this whole time. It makes sense. Seven-year cycles uh-huh. makes perfect sense. If we want to think of autism as, um, or as possibly um, the body's, the brain's response to poisoned, being poisoned. Um, when you have a C-section, you have tons of medication. There's metal. I have fibromyalgia. It's related to poisons and inflammation as well. They're definitely... Correlation. Yes, there's got to be. Obi also knows that his dad operates in a different realm. I don't know how much he understands that, but I know what his response is and how much time he wants to spend with his dad and what he loves about his dad. Um, So he still sees his dad? Yeah, yeah. Zach's an awesome dad. He actually is a phenomenal human and an awesome dad. And he's a lot calmer now that I'm not trying to hold him accountable for being something that he's not. Mm. And letting him go was the smartest thing I could have ever done for myself, for my children. Letting him be on his own path. You know, he left for the Rainbow Gathering and I said, I'm, I'm putting my name on the wait list at the low-income, moderate-income housing. And it was the only time he had ever given me the finger. This was a man that gave me a ring. Would I marry him? And I looked at him and I thought, I don't think I've ever even been on a date with this guy. You know, tribal... Right. connections the living like a tribe and having a, a a partner that you're intimate with is not at all the same thing as developing a partnership and i knew immediately that zach and i we needed to become friends first if we were going to be good co-parents and that meant not living together and me not having any expectations mm-hmm. Zach got diagnosed about a year after Obi, and his diagnosis was not spectrum because they can't say spectrum when you have traumatic brain injury and a group of personality disorders. But it does seem as though there's also spectrum there. And for me, the labels are not as important as the what is going on with this person, what's going to work to bring them what's going to work to help them be who their best self and stewarding Zach to being his best self has meant me making a lot of very clear boundaries, learning to be kind 
and finding a way for him to find his own feet with how he would be in the lives of his children. And after years of some pretty intense stumbling, he regularly goes to the pool and the playground. He's about to take his kid to the zoo for the first time. A lot of really beautiful things have happened. I've gotten some help. We've had a lot of trouble getting good help. Up here, there's only one cognitive behavioral therapist, and the couple's counseling is extremely mediocre. Zach and I have been to five different couples counseling. The very first person we saw um, mentioned that he felt that Zach was on the spectrum within 25 minutes of our visit. We never saw him again. The woman that we saw the most was unable to continue working with us because she stated that Zach did not understand anything that was going on in the office or what she was saying. Wow. Zach's capacity to understand what what you and I are saying here in this moment is very different from perhaps, you know, just another peer. Things are harder for him. He describes 80% of the things that Obi experiences. And when I say that when I looked at them sleeping there on the bed, they were two peas in the pod. It really was that... You know, I fell in love with Zach in a way that you fall in love with somebody that you can help. But I misunderstood that love for a relationship or an intimacy. And so it was very damaging um, for me for years. And I was very angry about it. I did a lot of yelling. And my poor daughter. Talk about sibling support and a sibling who needs to be recognized my eldest daughter basically had her life on hold for four years, mm-hmm. five years. I mean, I don't remember giving her the time and energy that she needed. I remember doing as much as I could every day to meet everyone's needs. But having a adult to steward was extremely disruptive. I really did take it personally for a while, and that's why the four agreements were so helpful to me, because I had to get beyond that in order to be an awesome parent for my kids. I don't know if you've, uh, how many episodes you've listened to, but there was one I was talking about, my oldest daughter, and that same feeling of looking back on that time and I can't really remember there's a there's a period of time where I was so focused on Freya that I don't really remember how what kind of a mom I was to her and that is it's heartbreaking in a way and now and I feel like there's like you know then you have to kind of play catch up at some point and be like well wait you know I know that I was I got sidetracked <laughs> but I'm still here I think my my daughter probably wouldn't hate me or resent me as much if I wasn't disabled as well. Not being able to walk, I haven't been able to do 90% of what a typical parent would do for years. I can't walk up a flight of stairs, so Mm. I can't go to the yoga class at Om Shala with her. I, I, I can't do even small music festivals. I have no way of bringing my wheelchair around. I finally have a working vehicle, but I can't bring my wheelchair with it. You know, um, 
economics and uh, not having mobility has made my daughter have a rather isolated life. You know, very good social worker. I find scholarships and send her to camp. Mm -hmm. And for two weeks a year, she gets a vacation from all of it, from being a special needs sister. She's a fantastic sister for Obi. I think that the one of the reasons Obi is so successful in his life is because he's sandwiched between this strong-willed, gregarious, vivacious, very creative four-year-old and this fantastic uh, blossoming woman, um, my 13-year-old Nyla, because she has been there for him. She will read him a story. Well, not as much anymore. It's it's a little bit tougher now. But when she was 10, she would read him a story. She would tickle his belly. She would buy me nine minutes to feed the baby. Being a mom that can't walk very quickly at all meant that I had to be a parent to my son with special needs in a very different way. One of the coolest things we ever did was we invented something called the partnership rope. This was just when he was learning to talk. He must have been four, and I was really sick of missing the farmer's market. I love the farmer's market. It's an opportunity to be with your community and be with other people your own age, but not with a kid that can't hear you or listen and gets easily distracted. And, it, it, you know, we would last maybe five or ten minutes at the farmer's market, mm -hmm. It was, it was really a disaster for him. But I knew he liked the music. And I knew that if we could just get there and stay calm and stay together long enough that, you know, like anything with a kid with autism, you just keep doing it until it works. And that might take years. It might be that you have to go to the roller rink 16 times for 11 minutes and then 15 minutes, and then 25 minutes. And at the 10th time, he may still have not been willing to put roller skates on. But everybody else got a chance to roller skate, and he got a chance to move with his socks off to the side in a way that felt good to him. And he felt like he was roller skating. And having the patience, and having the willingness to do those kinds of things led us to this partnership rope, which was just genius. He loved to tie things up with <laughs> string. So I found at the thrift store this like big bolt of this sort of violet colored, thicker rope-like string. And I don't know what I was thinking. You know, you see these toddlers with backpacks with a leash and you, you, you hear funny stories about, you know, oh, I'd never do that to my kid. and <laughs> I was never going to do something like that. So I said, Obi, here's this rope, and it's our partnership rope. It's, 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 a, it's the way you and I are going to stay together. How do we do it? And mm. he took it, and he tied it around his waist, and he handed me the other piece. And he had me tie it around my waist. Well, there was enough string. I had brought a big bolt of it. So we cut it so that it would work so that he actually had about four feet. And that only, we, that only lasted a few minutes. We walked around the corner and turned and he looked at me and he, 
looked at the string and how little there was movement. And he had me untie mine and tie it to my purse. We walked to the farmer's market and he took the rope off my purse and put it in his own pocket. And he stayed with me more and more. I mean, we kept doing it. We did the partnership rope probably more than 10 times, 15, 20. There were problems. I've lost Obi for two or three minutes uh. over 25 times. The same two parents at the farmer's market have helped me find Obi. He never leaves. He's just farther than I can see or get to him. And the sheer panic, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the best practices is to always talk about things before you do them. I mean, I'm like relentless in how I talk about everything before we do it. From, you know, choosing to have kindness in our hearts to making good choices to um, how do we get out of something that makes us agitated to, to, to knowing what the boundaries and the rules are. We want to create these environments for our kids to feel safe to learn and we want to make it easy for other parents and other adults to know what they need to know quickly and in an easy way my 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 job as a human is to be there for myself and to be there for you so that we can create an intentional life together and and, and i have to say that learning to be a conscious human has taken a lot of effort it's not an easy thing, learning to ask for help and learning to ask parents for what you need is, is quite hard. That's hard. In a nurturing environment where shoes can come off and bodies can move freely, sounds are meditative and uplifting, schedule is predictable and fun and leaving lots of room for outdoor time and free time and dance play and explore and time to relax. So when the level of comfort and trust are at their best, anxiety is no longer a factor. True learning takes place when anxiety is no longer a factor. Great living is experienced. Me helping my kids be stewards of the earth and water protectors and conscious humans in the intentional community that is this earth, this United States, and this state of California, it's all I want to do. But I have to do all the work to be who my kids need me to be. I can't pollute my body with easy-to-eat, yummy foods that make me sedentary and compliant. I can't numb my brain with media. I don't want to, I don't ever listen to anything that could bring my vibe down. I I have to have my bubble of light be so strong Mm -hmm. that when something that's drama-related comes towards me, I have to make the better choice. And that includes relationships with people. There's people that I can't 
be in relationship with because their personal growth, their personal drama, it's going to jeopardize me in my good parenting with my, my kid. And that leads to a pretty lonely life. One of the hardest things about having a special needs child is seeing them be lonely mm. and witnessing their sadness, their, you know, I don't think Obi knows to feel sad that he's not being included. I just see him being lonely. It's incredibly hard to witness your kid experience something that is anything but wonderful and not want to fix it right away or to say the thing that will fix it mm-hmm. and to not be able to do that. You want to yell at every kid. You want to go to their home and teach them about tolerance and kindness. Mm-hmm. You will do it all night long if you have to. I have had to learn to not be that angry at other people for their own experience. And I have worked hard to figure out how can I help? Can Mm -hmm. I volunteer in the school and read a tolerance book? When I see kids roll their eyes um, at my son, when I see uh, people choose not to interact with him or walk away or not include, I have a whole lot of feelings on the subject. But the strongest one I have is that my son deserves to be in an environment where he's safe to be himself. And, uh, you know, Temple Grandin argues for non-inclusion. She believes that her success is almost solely based on that she wasn't put in an environment where she was supposed to rise to the common denominator. That her individualized education was supported by her mom for her lifespan. I mean, her mom sought out environments where she would be celebrated and, you know, um, what is it to push someone to, to provide them with what they need to learn in a way that they can learn it. And to create a safe space to be themselves. Mm. I really wish that when I redesign our education system based on the principles of we all want to learn creative problem solving. We have some common goals that we want to all learn. You know, I don't know why education stops at the very moment we're ready to really absorb stuff. 16, 17, 18, 19, you know, you go to college. By the time you're finished at college, you're finally ready to learn. It's not who you are that holds you back. It's who you think you're not. One of my favorite artists, Jean-Michel Basquiat. My son doesn't really have any opportunities yet, because he's in this wonderful bubble, of any kind of conscious knowing who he's not. But his sisters do. And that's why his youngest sister introduces him as somebody with autism. Because she wants to make it safe for him to be who he is. So she knows that if she says that, she might be making it safer. I think something I want to say is that the value of you doing the podcasts is unbelievable. 
to hear other people's experiences and to hear you unfolding your experience through witnessing others. That's true healing. You know, I, I wouldn't do this alone, this parenting of a child with special needs. I have a counselor. But there's something inherently more cathartic and healing in thinking about your own experience and writing down all that that entails. It's a gift. It's such a gift to give myself an opportunity to reflect on all the work that I do all the time because I, I don't think I notice it.